0: Welcome, everyone, to Pen Pen Pal for our continued coverage of Darling in the Franks. This is episode 18. I'm Alex. And this is Brian. And this week, we have an extra special guest, uh, just like last week, coming from extra far away, uh, but this time in the European continent. Uh, we got from Germany, Miki. Hello. Hey. Um, and you run a youtube channel about anime called anime slam is that correct that's correct yep and like what kind of anime have you covered on there like are you all over the place or do you specialize in
1: specific genres or uh, uh, series i don't think i have a specific genre or anything i basically cover what's currently sparking my interest but those are often shows that Don't be the vibe with the general public. (laughs) Oh, cool. I cover a lot of niche anime. Well, you're in good company.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We are not interested in what is popular. We are only interested in what we find meaningful, Uh, which we found you through
1: an episode you did on Darling in the Franks. The history behind that video is uh, interesting because I was invited to a convention in Germany before uh, Corona hit. And (laughs) then, um, yeah, it was a convention about Darling in the Franks Um, and not a convention. The panel was about Darling in the Franks. So the German disc publisher licensed Darling in the Franks and they wanted to do some kind of advertisement for it. So they had this huge plan on, on, on making a panel comparing Evangelion and Darling in the Franks. And at the oh, time cool. uh, when I was asked, <laughs> I have actually watched uh, neither of them, <laughs> 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 but I just couldn't say no. I, I was so honored to be invited. So I said yes. And for the first time in my life, I actually watched Neon Genesis Evangelion. Whoa. And um, shortly after it, I watched uh, Darling in the Franks. The whole convention was turned online uh, by the time Corona hit. And uh, I got to talk with uh, one of the spokespersons of the German publisher of Darling in the Franks. And it was pretty interesting because um, he actually had some opinions about it that I, I I didn't expect, like, um, the whole uh, sexuality thing and the whole comparison to Evangelion, so um, I chatted with him again in my own podcast, and that's where I got a lot of inspiration for the video I made. At first, when when I got that um, invite um, and, and saw the headline, I thought, like, mm, maybe that's a stretch too far, but it definitely isn't. I was surprised at how Darling in the Franks is kind of an... Um, Contra to Evangelion in a sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that came through in your uh, analysis
2: video. That's one of the things I really appreciated about it.
0: Yeah, if I understood correctly, your take was that Evangelion had a negative view of sexuality. At least like sexuality as this dangerous thing. Whereas Franks kind of says, no, maybe it's scary, but it's something we have to deal with. We have to come through it and it can be wonderful. Is that about on? Track? Yeah, that's that's um basically it. Yeah. Very cool. Early on in our coverage, we figured out that there was a discrepancy in the the first person pronouns. Zero two uses Boku, you know, which is typically a masculine pronoun, but then we realized that this is a trope in anime, the, the Boku ko, this like archetypal female character who uses that. Um, and it's not super common in Japanese society, but it got me on this, uh, or I think both Brian and I on this, I don't know, thought experiment of like, can Zero Two be read as a trans character? And without really Thinking about the full dynamics of everything, I was thinking of like, oh, she wants to be uh, or she feels masculine. But it's not exactly that simple. And I was really amazed to find in your coverage this alternate but also trans take on the story where Zero Two is uh, very literally uh, intersex. Right. Uh, Because she is uh, the same uh, at least assigned the same by ape at birth as the nines and that she wants to be feminine
1: is that right yeah i i, I mean by lore uh, of course she's intersex um i've noticed zero two a lot in like uh, transgender um reddit and forums and was kind of surprised by it because I had watched like the first couple of episodes when it first aired, but kind of forgot about it because I'm not the kind of person to watch something weekly. I just normally wait when it's finished and then binge it. So when I f- watched the first couple of episodes, um, I had this very fancy, the kind of a show in in mind and just didn't expect what was to come later in the show. So I was always (laughs) surprised when I saw her in in, in forums and chatted about it a bit with other people um, and with other trans folk who were kind of in on the meme. So I got to understand their reading uh, of it a bit better and I can totally see it like uh, that. um, She wants to be born feminine and uh, there is this speech in the 18th episode of her where she talks um about i'm so envious envious of what of leaving something behind being envious of the female characters because they can give birth and she can't yeah i think what got me started um
2: maybe violates the uh, death of the author rule. Um, When we first got started doing research for this show, I was reading some interviews and speaking engagements by Nishigori, and they were talking about casting voice actors with sort of flipped roles. They wanted someone very masculine for Zero Two and someone more feminine for Hero. And I was like, oh, and this was in the same part where they're talking about hoping the show could be half shounen, half shojo, And I just wondered, like, oh, is that why they're doing that? But then I also found out about the, the Boku pronoun usage. And then I just started really looking at it a different way, asking different kinds of questions about all this. But it was interesting to find out that other people were thinking along the same lines.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely not sure if it's intended, the, the, the reading, but because... Japanese people, the way they are, especially in like the industry stuff, they're not really open about their messages and their shows and their political mindset and stuff like that. So, uh, be- because they have this mindset of don't bother the others, just just don't bring up politics, basically. Oh, no. <laughs> and um, so uh, in most interviews, I found they they said nothing about that matter. Basically, they they. I'm not sure if they actively denied some of the things I read, if the show is political, but they just kind of (laughs) undermined it.
2: (laughs) Kind of sounds like a typical Japanese move to me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and maybe after they alienated a bunch of people with the first three episodes, they were like, let's not alienate anymore. Get as many people to try the show out and get its deeper message as we can. Well, I just have one more question before we get into uh,
2: our episode. So in the United States uh, in the anime community, Franks was a pretty polarizing title. I was just wondering if it was how it was received in Germany.
1: Um, Germany, it was pretty big too. Um, A1 Pictures and Trigger, they're always on the radar, basically. Yeah, that makes sense. A lot of respect. Last time on
0: Cinefrank's After Dark. Ikuno got the closest thing to her own episode, and a satisfying cinematic slap that will live in my mind forever. Zero Two got a full horn makeover from Miku and Ikuno, but then guess who was coming to dinner? The Nines, who were ready to sow distrust, shake everyone's confidence, and snitch to papa about all this creamy, cuddly intimacy and independence. Hiro grew horns to match Zero Two, but couldn't measure up to her artistic talents. Kokoro continued her scheme to get Mitsuru to make a baby, and when she revealed her desire to the group, Nine Alpha called her disgusting. You know, like a fascist. Then Ikuno delivered the aforementioned slap. You know, like my hero. Hachi and Nana arrived at Misseltane to take command once again, but were too late to mitigate the emotional mayhem caused by the nefarious nines. Ape made a move against the Klaxo Queen, embarrassing themselves. Kokoro and Mitsuru experienced greater emotional and physical intimacy. Is all that glitters gold? Is all that shimmers sure to fade? Will the nine triplets ever get to speak? Let's find out. Brian, do you want to count us in whenever you're ready?
2: Sure. Three, two, one, play.
0: Good morning. Beautiful, isn't it? Well, that's Mm. a pretty good morning after. It's great. The fact that the cherry blossoms are white, doesn't that mean that's the end of the cycle? Now they're going to fall?
2: But yeah, I think we do see them falling in this episode, right?
0: Yeah. And we went over, we've already established that it's a a common thing in Japanese media. And so they're probably referencing again that white means both death and... Uh, Love. Oh, love. Love love
2: and death. Love and death.
0: A wedding? What's that? Uh, Yeah,
2: she can mean white, can also mean death. Mm. I know Shiki
0: has double meaning for the
2: four seasons.
0: I can't remember what
2: the other meaning is, but it's also the title of a really good vampire anime.
0: It also rhymes (laughs) with our guest (laughs) (laughs) name.
1: Oh, um, does Miki
2: mean something in Japanese?
1: Not actually sure. I was inspired by um, the character of the first generation of Idolmaster. Idolmaster by Nishigori? Oh, the the, the first anime. The 2013
0: one. So, I mean, they're rediscovering something from old humanity, right? But in another way, they're like creating their own culture, right? (laughs) Like they're creating rituals.
2: Yeah. I mean, these drawings did. that you Hero and Zero Two did is their only ideas.
0: template. Well, they're white, aren't they? Oh, so it's Zero Two's like the need. priestess. Wrong. She like internalizes <laughs> the story and then like regurgitates then it you? as their own culture. That Are you really that interested in me? Ikuno, all- what? A- At that moment, I was thinking the same thing as the Nines.
2: And when I slapped Alpha, it was in order to hide that fact. What do you mean, the same thing? Franks can only be operated by a boy and a girl. And I've always wished that stupid system would just go to hell forever.
0: But you know what I realized? As much as I find it a pain, I wouldn't be myself if I refused to acknowledge it.
2: You wouldn't be who you are without it. And I would hate that. So... What is wrong with me? My feelings are such a mess. Your feelings? Ichigo, I love you. (laughs) Okay.
0: Great. Great show.
2: Pretty emotional episode for me.
0: Wouldn't change it. Let's talk about this. (laughs) Uh, Episode 18, When the Sakura Blooms. Uh, We've just been through this Sakura cycle. Like, this could be a Sakura arc for the show almost. Uh, we kind of earned these last two episodes, or at least I think the showrunners earned these last two episodes. We went through a lot of combat, stress, and emotional turmoil, and now we get these two episodes to kind of relax and reconnect with each other, and then to uh, re-examine some relationships, right? We can relax for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> for most of it. Yeah. But, Mono Noa even your relaxing will end.
2: Yes. So it's a pretty nice morning after Mm -hmm. not everyone's morning after uh is as pleasant as this so i feel like they've got something real and just a little side note mitsuru and kokoro they have gone to the room that miku discovered in the boys versus girls episode Mm -hmm. which housed the former squad 13. i think the implication being uh this is where they could find privacy since the two of them each have their own roommates Oh, right. And it's
0: on another floor. Mm
2: -hmm. So someone had some good foresight. Um, After our credits, Hachi is briefing Ichigo. There's no explanation why Nana isn't there. There's some ominous stuff on the monitors behind Hachi, which if Hachi was like emotionally intelligent, he would have probably have known to turn them off Uh, (laughs) because it's like surveillance in all of their rooms, including their bedrooms and the bathrooms and the bathhouse and the greenhouse So uh, Hachi's probably seen everything.
0: He is a voyeur. That's terrible. (laughs) I mean, not that there's anything wrong with being a voyeur, but you have to find someone to consent to it, right? (laughs) Yeah.
2: um, And this is where Ichigo gets the news, like everyone pack up your shit We're we're leaving. Like say, if you're in high school and then your parents just announce, oh, by the way, you're moving. Mm -hmm. Like, Say goodbye to everything you know. So Ichigo has to deliver that news. Uh, We cut to Goro. Wait, who's he talking to? He's talking to Hero? Goro has the child fever again.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got the puberty blues, but he's coming out of it. And <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, Miku also had it. So it's just, it's making the rounds, you know? It's, it's like a its flu way. in their little
2: biome. And I'm, I'm sure this came up in a previous episode, but what did, what did we decide the, the child fever is signifying here? Oh, I don't know. Do we decide?
1: Miki, do you have any thoughts on this? I think it's just growing up, basically, basically in a painful way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um,
2: I do remember something about Hachi and Nana talking about it that it was unusual, and my impression was it's just Squad Thirteen that's going through this.
0: Well, they also talked about like the whole squad coming through puberty at the same time. That was very strange. So yes, Squad Thirteen is yet again just the uniquest people. Yeah. So Ichigo and Goro Ichigo, I think, comes out of the room and joins Goro and Hiro. And she's like, hey, we got to go. I don't think she says that, but that's the implication because then they go on a walk and they're like, "Okay, well, maybe this is a good time because, look, this water source has run out and all these fish are dying in the the like little stream basin. So although we're very sad, it may be time to move on from this home because we don't know how longer it will uh, support us.
2: So this came up in another episode uh, the reference to the golden bow. Mm. Uh, the idea that the king and the land are one and uh mistletoe is starting to die. It's not supporting life anymore. Maybe this has significance to the comment that's made at the end of the episode, which maybe we can get there later.
0: Ah, well, I mean, so Papa has made the sacrifice if like the body of people are you know like the emperor's body uh then he's made the sacrifice of 40 percent of the population but also lost uh two of seven uh council members in the last episode right
2: Mm. okay so we get to hero has the idea uh he doesn't just want this to be unceremonious um they want to do something special yeah uh so they're gonna do a wedding a (laughs) wedding They don't know what a wedding is. (laughs) The picture book that Hiro and Zero Two are reassembling uh, is their only reference to this. And it's implied that uh, they've already talked to Kokoro and Mitsuru about this because Kokoro and Mitsuru are the ones that are volunteering. Mm-hmm. Mostly everyone's really excited except for Futoshi. Yeah. But he finds a place.
0: Then I'm taking this role.
2: He wants to play the role of the priest, I guess.
0: Yeah. Um, he wants to be supportive. And part of that is like, well, I still have these feelings for Kokoro, so I don't get to express him in one way, but like, I would really like to be close to you at this moment of significance. Uh, it's interesting to me that
2: these kids with like no social reference point for this ceremony are sort of making sense out of it. Like the role Futoshi wants to play is kind of obscured between a priest and the father of the bride, which is a an attachment of sorts to one of the bride and groom.
0: Sure, I guess. I didn't get that impression. Where are you getting that from? Um, he said
2: he wanted to be close to her. Um, to me, the father of the bride is closer in proximity to the bride than the priest is okay me in my head canon uh yeah 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 so ichigo she's sort of in tune she notices ikuno is i guess the word is perturbed mm. and we'll follow up on that in a bit so I, there's another scene that i thought was really endearing zero two i guess she's just the artist she's done sketches for a wedding dress and i had this observation during the watch through and i don't know if it's actually correct but i felt like they were back in that room of the former squad 13 again because there was flower arrangements
1: that looked familiar
0: yeah i think kogoro like moved in there
1: yeah and and, and the puppet lying um the, oh yes the bed, mm. the, the, the what's uh, supposed to symbolize that yep she's pregnant now
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> The thing's always going to be around now
2: <laughs> so there's a lot of intimate things happening in this room It's nice to see Zero Two and Kokoro bonding. I don't think we, this may be the first time I've, we've seen them connecting in this show.
1: Yeah. And I think the, the, uh, yeah, she she probably already had the dress she designed in mind for herself. I think that's why she had it ready to give to uh, Kokoro in this moment.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. That's sad and sweet.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It is
2: sad thinking like maybe Zero Two is not going to have her opportunity. Like, maybe this is it, but Mm -hmm. we can talk about that in the spoiler section.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but we get this wonderful... I think there's like a theme of, I mean, obviously like almost every episode has a theme of cycles, but this uh, episode almost has a theme of like recycling, like reusing this room, you know, repurposing it. Mm -hmm. There's a shot where I can't remember who looks at it or if we're supposed to see someone look at it, but very specifically, it shows the camera from the previous group. We theorized at one point, or I theorized at one point that other Frank squads don't get the birthday presents that squad 13 gets but the previous squad 13 probably did because like this old-fashioned camera that's mm-hmm. like a personal effect right yeah
1: now that you mention it um with the recycling I think it's even more interesting that they had sex in this room <gasps> like they gave new life to this room which is <laughs> uh, which was before filled with death basically
0: And oh, my gosh. So I'm always looking for reasons to bring up the psychological link between sex and death, like being close to a symbol of death or like a manifestation of death sometimes like pushes people towards sexuality. Like Halloween, oftentimes people use it to, you know, dress in ways that uh, they think are provocative to kind of engender that kind of uh, attention on that night. Man, fascinating. Mm.
2: So now I'm Looking at this episode as like the death and rebirth cycles again.
0: Okay. Well, and it may be like a conclusion of one cycle and the beginning of the next, right? Mm. We're probably going into our final act now, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, and we get like two big manifestations of the, the hopes and fears of this final act. We get Kokoro is, if not explicitly, like, like you said, the doll is constantly there now. Kokoro is probably pregnant already. And we get, you know, jumping to the end of the episode, we also get that their their memories have been tampered with. And so one of our fears is like, oh, everything's going to be messed up because they don't remember each other. Sorry, just things coming up.
1: <laughs> and, and being pregnant, but um, having no memories of it <gasps> sounds pretty hard (laughs) terrifying oh my gosh uh so
0: we we joked before about like uh ape has like terrible security but maybe like they just don't have contingency plans for things that they don't like you know outliers and that's why this is Mm. frank's plan he's like i can't beat them with cold hard calculations i have to find the wild card the outlier thing in order to put a wrench in apes plans uh
2: i mean i I think that's that's this is how Franks' schemes are going to play out.
0: Right. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Okay, so uh, Kokoro at the end, uh, you'd think that they would have taken the rings off of them. And you would <laughs> think that they would have been like, oh, Kokoro is pregnant. Well, just deal with that. But they don't have any protocols for it.
1: It's not on their radar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it could be right. Probably, they probably, they don't expect the children to have sex. Yes, because the children aren't supposed to know about that.
0: Maybe Hachi and Ape don't know that it's happened because maybe the cameras are not in that room. Oh, well, it could hmm. be. Yeah. Because why would they have cameras activated in the on the floor that they're not watching?
2: Oh wow, that's interesting. All right, so I don't know who said this to get me thinking about it, but there's this interesting thing that's gonna survive um, the cycles, like the cycles of death and rebirth. Mm. Uh, this goes back to our earlier imagery of the, the mistletoe. Uh, it's, it's something that perseveres through the cycles of life and death. And it's a parasite, it, these are our parasites. And now we've got these things that are going to persevere through like the death of their memories being erased. like there's a child that's growing, there's the rings that are on their fingers, there's the, the memories within their comrades in the rest of Squad 13. This is just all stuff that's just ape is not going to be thinking about at all. <laughs> you could call the
1: child a parasite, and I think some people <laughs> <they wouldn't> really- <laughs> <laughs> All right.) Uh... Okay, so
2: the Sakura blossoms, they are white. Uh, white symbolizes change and or death in Japanese culture.
0: Yeah, and then what was uh, that thing? I don't want to lose it. There's this a uh, word for white that can also oh. mean death and love. <laughs> uh, she means white and death. Oh, not and love, okay, never mind.
2: But the color white can symbolize love and
0: death. Oh, okay, all right, cool, 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 sorry. Yeah, it's
2: very complicated. All right, uh, Futoshi, Hero, and Zorome—they're in the courtyard while a lot of other people are getting working hard to make the wedding happen. And uh, I guess Zorome has just not been assigned a task. I I, I thought this was a fun callback because he's there with his soccer ball or whatever, and uh, he used it to bully Hero when we first saw them in this situation. And this time he calls out to hero and they have this fun game. And it's like, you know, they're, they're a family now.
0: Oh, whoa. Um, He also uses it to bully Futoshi man. Like sports is used to bully people. Like if, if you're like assigned masculine at birth, right. And grow up around a bunch of guys, like, and you don't like sports. Like that was a thing for me. I didn't like sports and like people would make fun of me or they would not want to associate with me because. I didn't want to talk about sports or do that.
1: Yeah, I can't though. relate to that. In, in Germany, we have kind of a, of a meme about like sports in school because there are there, there's this thing called the Bundesjugendspiele. Mm-hmm. and it's uh, like a festival um, every year, and everyone gets uh, graded and they get certificates that they I don't know that they achieved something special or something and basically everyone in germany hates it (laughs) 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 i don't really know why they still do it but everyone hates it because well, uh, the, the, the tough guys can basically use it to bully the the, the weaker ones mm. and kind of have, have proof of it because they have this certificates and others don't have it and something like that. Yeah. So this is an interesting journey. Like Zoro, May
2: was obsessed with being the alpha male, the best Frank's pilot. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just not even on his mind anymore. He's what's on his mind is having camaraderie with his friends.
0: Yeah, it's a really wonderful moment and fully animated, you know, <laughs> like uh, we know that a lot of these Gainax alumni, they make really strong decisions on what to animate, what not to animate, uh, which shots will actually be still and which ones will have like the feeling of movement, even if it's mm-hmm. not animated. But this one, they animate three characters moving at the same time. Like it's a big scene, but it's so <laughs> it's such a small moment. Yeah. This is their Mononooware, or at least Zorome's. Yeah, and those sakura blossoms are falling.
2: Yeah, very quickly. Uh, it actually catches their attention. I mean, I don't know if you've ever, like, in the Washington, D.C. area, we also have cherry blossoms. And it's, if you're right there, it, it feels like a blizzard. Which, aren't down. the cherry
0: blossoms in Washington, D.C., a gift from the government of Japan?
2: They are. I think there's actually an initiative to um, have that in all of the states. I know that at least in Missouri and Tennessee, they also have cherry blossoms that were gifted by the Japanese government. Hmm.
0: Okay. Hmm. Let's just, you know, uh, 51 states, you know, Japan can (laughs) (laughs) join the bandwagon.
2: Uh, So then Miku hollers down. She wants them to like quit screwing around and help out. I don't know if this is it, when Zorome gets inspired to start painting.
0: Well, the very next scene, on the other side of this scene. So you're uh. right. It might, it, he uh, must have gotten uh, inspired at some point. And when we first met Miku and Zorome, we might be like, man, Miku is really riding him. But now that we've spent time, we contextualize her saying like, hey, get off your lazy butt, and do some work. Like, that's actually part of their dynamic. You know, mm-hmm. they're teasing each other. They mm-hmm. actually do resonate on a level where their partnership is pretty stable and they can make those kinds of jokes or demands of each other.
2: Right. Uh, So let's get to the next dynamic. Yes. uh, This is
0: the most intense scene in the episode. It might be my favorite scene in the episode. I don't know, maybe the series. It's really wonderful. And all of us were silent. I think watching this, it's just so engrossing.
2: Yeah. Ikuno comes in presumably to check on Ichigo and we see her flopped down on her bed. Is she asleep? Is she depressed? Um, that's what Ichigo's there for. She's concerned.
0: I think she's depressed because okay. Ichigo asks, I think, specifically like, hey, are you having the child's fever again? Are you okay? And Igu's like, no, it's nothing like that. I'm like, yes. Iguno is depressed because she had this big release, this emotional catharsis in the last episode. But now that she's come back to normal, all that's on her mind is i don't know the interminableness of her situation like she knows that ichigo is into hero and partnered with goro and that ikuno doesn't really even factor into that calculation for her (sighs) it's just so sad yeah
2: let's see How, how does this play out exactly like ichigo asks about their interaction with nine alpha. Uh, Like did she said, did something happen? Yeah,
0: Ichigo doesn't really understand the slap like Ikuno. Part of her strength, part of her identity is her sexuality. Right. And sexuality is not her gender, but who she is attracted to Ichigo. She's attracted to Ichigo because of her gender, her feminine qualities. Right. That's what makes Mm -hmm. her definitionally a lesbian. And so uh, Nine Alpha was talking about how gender is a weakness, something to be cast aside. And Ikuno was like, excuse fucking you? Like, who the hell are you to come in here and tell, you know, us as a group who we are, but me to my face, who I am. Mm. And so, yeah, I think that's Ichigo's asking like, did something happen? Like, did Nine Alpha talk to you directly and insult you? And you're like, no, it's not about that. It's about yeah. standing up for all of us.
2: Yeah, so there was a lot of confusion in the U.S. anime community about, like, were the Nines tearing down gender uh, as a whole? Was Ikuno trying to f- defend, like, binary gender roles or defend gender in general? Uh, I feel like it was pretty clear to me, but it, there was... Sharp disagreement. Uh, was, was there anything like that happening in the German anime community?
1: So I think it's the same situation as in the uh, as, with, as with you. Um,
0: so it tracks with something in my life. Uh, so when I was like 13, uh, I became an atheist, or at least I came out as an atheist. I'd been having thoughts for a long time. And for probably a good three or five years, I was a militant atheist. So I had come to this new understanding. And so it was my job to pick a fight with anyone who had not come to that understanding. Thankfully, I'm not like that anymore. That's kind of like the nines, nine alpha. So like uh, spirituality, uh, religion in itself is not a detrimental thing, right? Gender is not a detrimental thing. People find identity and strength in it. But someone who has, who feels that they have like gone beyond gender, you know, like the nines, I guess they consider themselves agendered. It's the same kind of thing. Like this works for me. Therefore I need to liberate everyone else from the confines of this, this thing that's in their way.
1: Um, I'm I'm, uh, currently strolling through the uh, German comments on episode 17. I think that's must've been the episode where they had this exchange with the alphas Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um, it seems pretty split. Some people uh, even go as far as to say that uh, maybe squad 13 aren't the good guys, Hmm. (laughs) which I think is funny, but it looks pretty split. The the, the most upvoted comment is about not liking um, the the uh, blonde alpha guy, but <laughs> yeah. other people are yeah, on their side. Hmm. The, the, the thing is, with the German language, um, it's completely gendered. So everything we say basically has some kind of gender. Mm-hmm. Currently, we have this movement in Germany where we try, when we say something that addresses multiple people, that we try to gender the word so that basically when when... Um, I describe it in English. I would have to say that we try to ungender it, but in Germany we call it gendern.
0: Oh, okay.
1: We don't say Polizisten, which is um, the the German word for policeman. Okay. But that we say Polizistinnen, which would be a combination of the male and female version.
0: Interesting.
1: But there's a lot of discussion about that because um, our government is pretty uh, conservative. They don't like it that people do that but personally i do it <laughs> awesome uh who's still in power there is it still angela merkel um no um it was uh, angela merkel's last year we had elections this li- uh, this this year i think two months ago and um it looks to be a bit more a, a, a bit more progressive but yeah even the political parties most people would call progressive aren't really leftist i would say (laughs)
2: okay sounds familiar
0: yeah yeah (laughs) we have uh similar things in america uh i'm a communist personally an anarcho-communist and so uh associating with the democratic party makes me my skin crawl (laughs) (laughs)
1: yeah i can totally understand that
0: so
2: i don't want to beat a dead horse but this is just the something that meant a lot to me about this scene with uh, ichigo and ikuno ikuno's confession like she's talking about like this gender specific thing the femininity of ichigo that she's attracted to that's what she loves about her mm-hmm. um and if we just erase all of that it's a terrible loss for her in like if I put myself in someone else's shoes, I can see them potentially feeling threatened by this kind of sentiment. So I guess what I just want to offer is like American psychology is changing uh, slowly on how it articulates gender norms and the spectrum in between still has a long way to go. So like the the American Psychological Association right now, this, this is how they define masculinity. This is the official, this is what masculinity officially is. Like. Strength, stoicism, aggression, and power. Okay. And that's, ex- <laughs> that's exclusively masculine. <laughs> All right? Cool.
0: Yeah. I've never met any strong women in my life. <laughs> okay. Right, right,
2: right. So if you're a man that does not value aggression, then you're not masculine. Or if you are a woman and you are powerful <laughs> or, or have strength, then, then you are masculine. Now that's according to the text. I think like, it doesn't really work um the whole spectrum in between these things i think realistically that's where everybody is i don't think there's anyone that really fits exclusively like this definition or that definition yeah so if i can like sort of just infer ikuno's feelings it's like these qualities are like what are exciting and attractive to her Mm -hmm. um so like i can say like my partner does embody strength, stoicism, aggression, and power. <laughs> and I I think it's kind of exciting, but I don't think it puts them into one box or another. Yeah. I just felt like that's something that needed to be said because it's just based on anime forms is pretty confusing to a lot of people.
0: Absolutely. And there is, you know, there is a difference between finding strength in your gender identity or, and like disparaging people who don't fit the binary. Yeah. So that's kind of heavy. Like I I do want to end this on like a real
2: high positive though because it's such a this is one of my favorite scenes in the whole sh- episode. So when we have this like the female character expressing her affections to another female character so often in anime no matter how realistic the characters are drawn in this moment, that's when they would come very cartoony with these like what kind of reactions their eyes would get really big and their colors would change and you know animation would be very cartoonish yeah. uh, and they just didn't do that they just kept the tone real for the whole duration of this thing so wherever the show goes from here like I super respect the way they handled this scene yeah,
1: it's yeah. one of my favorite scenes of the show too like I really really love it I love how respectful it handles the whole situation and um, I mean a whole aspect of the show is to be accepting of sexuality which mm-hmm. uh where we could uh, draw the comparison to Evangelion again, where, um, yeah, something like the beginning of uh, the movie happens um, in in the uh, hospital. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a scene where sexuality is drawn in a very negative light, but here they're all uh, accepting of each other, so that's why I like it. Oh, God, and I hate the manga version of the scene oh. um, because the manga is a bit... Different in some aspects, and it has a different ending. It's drawn by the guy who did Tudafru, and uh, he changed the setting. Uh, it's not set in this uh, sleeping room, but instead it's set in the bathroom, and they're both naked, and it's totally unnecessary.
0: Oh, <laughs> again, the confusion between intimacy and. <sighs> Because this like is a naked scene almost. Like it's very important that they're in the bedroom. Oh my gosh, that's so infuriating.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's drawn in a very sexualized way as to be expected by <laughs> this person. But uh, yeah, I really hate
0: it. So in some of these other confession scenes, like Ichigo, when she confessed kind of the second time more fully to Hiro, she kissed him, right? So in some of these confession scenes, people have gotten to kiss their... Perspective partner, right? While I was re- a little upset, I was like, Ikuno doesn't get to do that. But on the other hand, Ikuno is also, like, of everyone here, super respectful and, like, probably wouldn't want to do that without knowing that Ichigo was okay with it first. So I felt like it was lesbian censorship. And then I was like, I don't know. Ikuno is awesome. So maybe it's not.
2: Yeah, I mean... It still really moves me, like, um, I didn't cry this time, but I'm, I'm usually uh, moved to tears in this scene. Um, Ichigo, she just doesn't have the, the shitty typical anime reaction, you know? Like, mm-hmm. she hugs her friend, and, like, she has these words of consolation and, like, identifies with her.
0: She's just like I used to be.
2: That's
1: pretty huge.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a scene that's very different from a lot of anime, how they handle lesbian characters or female-to-female attraction. And I I really like Ikeno throughout the whole show and how her character is is painted. And especially that she's not the kind uh, of of, of character that she doesn't fall into this cliche of, God, how was it called? It it had a certain name that the gay character either dies or doesn't get a partner at the end. Oh, (laughs) Um, I know the
0: trope. I don't know the name of it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Bury your gaze. I think that's it. Yes.
0: Yep. Yep. (laughs) That's what it
1: is. And that that she just doesn't fall into this category. That's a thing I really like about the show. And yet, it speaks uh, about this almost internalized homophobia she has throughout this very heterosexual system. Yeah, it's it's just different than a lot of shows handle something like that, and that's what I really love it for. Yeah. Agreed.
2: Okay, so we go from this heavy scene to something more lighthearted.
0: Oh yeah. yeah. A Kodak moment. Zorame is painting. He's like running with this paintbrush. He makes this little like speech bubble and <laughs> says Zorme enters the fray. Like, wow, uh-huh. this is just so cute. Yeah. Uh, and then they use that same camera that they found in the former squad 13's room, the new bridal mm-hmm. chamber, right? Yeah. That's
2: Futo- is it Futoshi that sets it up? Uh, I think so. Yeah. At any rate, like I'm gonna skip ahead a little bit here, uh, just because I feel like it connects better to this moment. Yeah, they're they're doing the group photo, and it's just like there's so much continuation of tradition in this episode, and now they're continuing the tradition of the photo now, and then in the end scene when they're all packing up to leave, uh, Miku is in that special room that they'd had set up. And as she's walking out the door, she looks at the old photo of the former Squad 13 and has this melancholy look on her face. And like, God, I just had this feeling like some things aren't going to get to continue. Like there's not going to be another group of kids after them.
0: Mm -mm. Mm. Which is a common sentiment in my generation, the next generation, like a lot of millennials and uh, Zoomers. A fear is like. We are the last generations that will be able Mm -hmm. to enjoy the world the way it is because global warming is going to get worse. Right. And industrialization doesn't look like it's slowing down or reversing fast enough. So like that's a very real, not universal, but global fear.
1: Hmm. Um, My favorite game of uh, or one of my favorite games of all time is called Umurangi Generation. And it's basically that. Uh, Umurangi is a uh, New Zealand New Zealandian word. I don't know how the language is called, but yeah, it's it's basically describes being the last generation of something, and oh. um, yeah, the game is all about like uh, the dying world and how everything is going to shit, and just being the last young people who get to live through all the chaos that ensues. It's, it's a great game. I really, really love it. Like, it's very unconventional storytelling because you're a photographer. Yeah, you, you get a set of missions to complete for every level. There's no dialogue or anything. There's no cutscenes. But because of the progression you have, to, from go, you go to one level to the next, um, you notice the things that change um, in the environment and things that happened there recently, especially you are forced to look at everything
2: Oh, wow. That's heavy. What is that called again? Umurangi Generation. That sounds amazing. <laughs> Miki, have you seen an anime called Girls' Last Tour?
1: Yes. Yes. Oh, I, I love that show. <laughs> the
2: themes that you are bringing up it immediately reminded me of Girls' Last Tour. They, they have the photo. It's like a digital camera. that also does video. And uh, again, they're sort of touring the end of humanity, the end of the world. And uh, like these photos that Chi uh, is taking, it's like this is all that's going to be left.
1: Yes. Oh, I th- it's probably a show you could also talk a lot about because it's just so like philosophical in the sense. I don't like to describe anime like that because it's it's like when you when you describe video games as immersive or something like it's, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the same kind of <laughs> feeling. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, I would totally use it for Godzilla too and something like Eno's Journey, like shows that just make you think about the things that happen. Mm-hmm
2: absolutely
0: um i lost where we are um uh uh, futoshi sets up the camera they take this class photo it's actually really cute i noticed looking back that um ikuno and ichigo get to be next to each other in the class photo yeah that's nice anyways oh and then we go to another intense scene wow we get like five seconds of everybody taking a photo and being happy and then zero two gets like fucking ptsd like this hallucination of all of her past sins the people that she lists the stamens that she has consumed and it culminates in this the giant klaxosaur baby hand just coming down to not attack an entire colony this time just to punish her yes a lot
2: going on in a very short scene i read this as the hand of fate Uh, Mm. I read it that way because Zero Two is trying to finish her picture book and she freezes. Uh, She's getting near the end. And we know that this story does not have a happy ending. We've seen so far that like she identifies with this book, like that this is the direction of her life. Mm -hmm. And she's got this reservation like, well, that sucks. I don't want this to go this way. And um, maybe this is this like PTSD, night terror flashback thing. Because like if this episode really does have this like cycle of death and rebirth theme going on, uh, that you know, unresolved things are just going to keep coming back. Well, here's something that's unresolved. She's consumed hundreds of people's lives. Mm-hmm. She seems like she feels really bad about that, and that maybe the bad ending to this story, like if you get into like sort of PTSD, like maladaptive thought processes maybe she's thinking that's what she deserves and that's Mm. the the ending that she has to have yeah like we've seen zero two grow a lot but people don't just become you know perfect overnight like she still has these things that she's not talking to hero about
0: oh yeah she very quickly when hero enters the room she's like oh let me gather up these pictures you don't really need to see Uh, the last things i've been working on and does not tell him about this vision right yeah but like this is how relationships
2: are like they have let each other in a great deal in the span of their relationship but there's always more to go and this is where her current boundary is uh and not really based on something positive it's based on like these kind of guilt and shame and fear based things. Mm -hmm. But I feel like if hero was in, he could really help her out, (laughs) but we're just not there.
0: Yeah. Uh, But she goes through this terrible hallucination, this really jarring experience. But on the other side of it, uh, she gets a new form of validation. I really liked this choice. I thought back and I was like, oh, she has been in, the white plug suit. So she's adopted that. She doesn't wear the red plug suit anymore. So she's adopted that part of the team, right? But this is the first time we see her in a standard Squad 13 outfit. Kokodo, let me borrow this outfit to wear for the wedding see? Uh And I was like, oh, that's so awesome. Symbolically, she's even more a part of the team. You know, she's not like part of the team, but stands out. Now she's just part of the team, the same uniform. It's really wonderful. And... It's not a random uniform. It's Kokoro's uniform, (sighs) which a major part of friendship and bonding is reciprocation, right? So like in the last episode, we saw that she sits down and lets Ikuno file her horns and lets Miku make this headdress for her. But she doesn't reciprocate in in the same fashion but this time she does she designs the dress which miki if you're right that it was for zero two's future she mm. gives kokoro her dress and in return kokoro gives her this uniform
1: <laughs> yeah
2: that's pretty awesome
1: <laughs> I, I just like how, how positive this, this whole scene and episode and the episode before and 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 this The whole atmosphere in this thing is, like, especially since I just really love anime that have, like, an active relationship, like, where where, um, two partners are actually on that level yet, because most romance anime are about getting together, or maybe not even that, like, a lot of shows uh, end with an open end. But uh, I really loved uh, Tony cover Over the Moon for You, for example where it's just about these two people uh, um, who marry pretty quickly Mm -hmm. (laughs) to to, to find boundaries in a relationship and having just a lot of nice, sweet moments. And yeah, uh, um, the show reminds me of that because not a lot of anime actually that i think i mean we have a wedding in this episode like how many anime can you recall where characters you join where you join characters on their journey and they they marry like how many anime can you recall we actually do that
2: uh, i can't think of any i do know that when like wedding imagery is used in anime, it's usually used, again, as a joke. Yeah, Just, pretty often. Just like...
0: Gosh. So in Evangelion, at about this point in the series, Misato goes to a wedding. And it's like a completely different angle for her. Yeah. It's like a really depressing affair because she's 30 now. She's not the one getting married again. She goes with her two old college friends And ends up hooking up with the guy she really didn't want to get back together with. Like, oh, oh, this is so awesome. Sorry, the parallels are just everywhere.
2: (laughs) Uh, But, you know, like the the positive stuff for this episode. Gosh, it makes our ending so much sadder. And and we're getting there pretty quick here now.
0: Mm -hmm. All good things must fade.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, we're here at like the moments before the wedding and then the wedding itself. Gosh, there's just so many... Little endearing things that are going on uh, that just make it so real. Like Mitsuru, he has these like very real feelings, and he's just able to say them for the benefit of the audience. Like Kokoro is coming down in all of her splendor. And Mitsuru has to avert his eyes because she's just so damn beautiful and she doesn't get it. She's like, Mitsuru, look at me. And he's like, you ask the impossible. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And it's
0: also a little joke, right? Because a common Catholic tradition is that you don't uh, see the bride before the wedding ceremony on that day. Um, no. And if correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure a, a lot of Japanese citizens, uh, they have relationships with three major religions in their life. They go to Shinto shrines for some things. They go to uh, Buddhist uh, practitioners Come. for some things. Yeah. And then when they do marriages sometimes, especially modern marriages, they model it after this Christian uh, uh, yeah. or Catholic, at least, archetype.
2: Yeah, a lot going on. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um. So yeah, there's just like like reverberations of like ceremony that are presenting in the mm-hmm. lives of Squad 13, right? Like you were saying, like not seeing the bride, and then Zoro may has to seem like I feel like someone's supposed to say
0: something. <laughs> 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 it's like yeah, <laughs> normally they would oh yeah and Miku is like do we ring the bells now yeah why not they're like making their own Uh uh, they're making it their own
1: yeah that's great because they're basically I mean they have never seen a wedding they didn't know what it is so (laughs) they they know parts of it because of the picture book but they don't know how to use them so they just make this up
2: and like the most important thing that they get right is that they have fun I've been to so many weddings (laughs) that were not fun (laughs) (laughs) yeah so miki you mentioned this in the uh the watch through but i just thought it was so amazing they're exchanging the rings and putting them on for each other and before we get there props to mitsuru like something that you make yourself is just so much more meaningful uh and just uh, criticism on like the wedding industrial complex like Mm -hmm. so much of this crap Mm. is uh commercialized and it's just monetized
0: and that's a huge trend in very young people getting married is to issue the industrial complex do things Mm -hmm. usually outside and make all of your friends help so that it is this community affair
1: whoa i fully endorse that especially in in japan it's so uh, commercialized uh, marriages like you, you, you can book, like, a, a practice marriage, basically, in Japan. Right. And a lot of people do that, actually, to, to like, uh, get a dress already and to, to uh, a suit and um, how it's, well, to, to know how it's all supposed to play out. And it's just, I, I have seen some stuff about it, and it's just, it doesn't look fun at all. <laughs> it looks way too serious. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so here it is.
0: The couple will now exchange the rings.
2: Mitsuru is putting the ring on Kokoro, and we can look at it as a sexual innuendo. And there is the moment where maybe there's a barb on the ring, or it hits the knuckle the wrong way, but it hurts. And he apologizes, oh, I'm sorry. he panics, I'm and okay. she's like, it's OK, keep, keep going. going. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is this is the dialogue that can very easily happen for young, inexperienced lovers. But here's the other thing that I love about this show and this scene is they talk about it. They say it. And again, as the life coach speaking here, this is such a fatal flaw of of so many couples of not communicating just the simple little things like during lovemaking or managing laundry and dishes. You just got to speak what's going on. That's the end of my PSA. (laughs) So (laughs) We can move on if we need to. It's an important one.
0: Yeah, any any final thoughts about the wedding ceremony itself before we ruin it with the nines making? Oh, God.
1: <laughs> no, I don't think so. But um, about this message, at least, like, especially in Japan again, it's, uh, uh, I would say... It's kind of a quiet country, like they don't like to talk to each other. <laughs> that, that is true. <laughs> <To> <laughs> that say is a frank way of it. But um, yeah, so so especially like private things. You you don't talk about it. Like I, I said before, you, you don't want to um, make it difficult for the for, for someone else So so it's just viewed as When you bring something difficult up that you are already making it difficult, especially with like the arrogance scene and hentai and whatever. Um, Mm. I mean, there's a lot of sexual products in in Japan. Um, I I think a lot of young people in Japan just get a wrong image of what sex and relationships are. So I think um, the scene is even more important because of that. Yeah,
2: absolutely, I agree. Wow, we could really get off the tangent here. I've got like yeah. big thoughts on that, but yeah. <laughs> maybe we don't have time for all of my thoughts. <laughs>
0: okay, all right. So they do the ceremony. Futoshi says something akin to "You may now kiss the bride," right? But it's actually seal your vows with a kiss and. They almost kiss. And right at the last moment, you know, the timing is perfect. That's when the nines and their goons show up. Goons. Oh, hired goons. I had goons. And so they don't even, like, get to plant that final kiss. And you're like, oh, this is very sad. But it's still even, like, heartwarming because doesn't Futoshi jump in front of them and is like, you got to run. I'll hold these guys off. Yeah. <laughs> what? What are you going to do, man? They have guns yeah
2: and they take futoshi out quick it's Mm -hmm. sad what jumped out at me was just how over the top this response was they Mm -hmm. send this freaking swat unit (laughs) and there's so freaking many of them and like any other time this would not have jumped out at me but like i feel like oh yeah i saw this on the news the other day (laughs) like a Mm. show of force that was like way too big that was called for
0: Oh, yeah. Have you ever been like driving down the highway and you see five police cars stop behind one car?
2: Yeah. So Abe clearly sees Squad 13 as a threat. At first, I thought maybe this was just because Zero Two is so badass, but no. I mean, she is badass. It took all of the nines to take her down. Mm-hmm. It sucks, but it was an awesome fight, at least. Yeah. Um, a little bit of action. Car and then, like
0: this freaking like
2: military unit just to take down the rest of squad 13
0: it's so absurd yeah ugh. yeah i i hate ape damn our monkey brains
2: yeah and just god ugh. the nines they're just so shitty yeah. <laughs> like uh, there's a scene that's like in slow motion when zero two goes to like punch 9 alpha in the face and uh Nine uh, Gamma just just effortlessly like deflects her punch, mm-hmm. and just has this like smug smile on their face.
0: And then when they get zero two on the ground, he again calls her Iota, which is like the diegetic equivalent of dead naming someone. Yes, that's ex- that was the first thing. He's I like, "You're of. one of us. You're not one of them, and you never will be." And you're like, "Dude, fuck off." He's a bit mm-hmm. like a fascist. That's okay. Yeah. He's also got the blonde hair. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it's something that strengthens the like whole transgender theory about Zero Two, basically. Oh, she actually has a dead name.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh gosh. So it's just sad, one sad thing after another. So I I didn't really see much about this online, but to me it hit me hard. Just this moment of shock afterwards, like after the soldiers have gathered Kokoro and Mitsuru, and they're gone, and they're just sitting there, and the flowers are on the ground, and their furniture is smashed, and they have to just pack their shit and leave.
0: Mm -hmm. There's Um, an explicit, the opening shot of the scene is Zero Two picking up the purple flower that uh, Ikuno pinned on Mitsuru, like literally picking up the pieces of the lives they just saw wrecked. Yeah. So, you know, this is like not really the kind of stuff that gets
2: media coverage when great injustices play out in our lives uh, but this is like one of these real hard things mm-hmm. I won't get too explicit about it but you know all the bad things that you could imagine happening to you like it doesn't end when the event ends right okay so we're gonna go from bad to worse
0: yeah, we get these long, full shots. We get a shot of them, like, picking up the stuff from the room that they had made up for Kokoro and mm-hmm. Mitsuru. And they've we've seen that they've, like, decked it out like a wedding night thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like, it's just something that doesn't get to get used, all that effort for nothing. And we go, oh, my gosh. And then we switch to Hachi in this, like, emotional doldrum where most people... Well, not most people, but I know that I, if I was in a situation like that, you know, I have a history of depression. I would probably revert to an apathetic state, just let it all disassociate. So I wouldn't have to deal with that. And boom, that's when we switch to Hachi, who says explicitly, if I had emotions, what could I say to the children? You're like, wait, what do you mean you don't have emotions? That doesn't make any sense.
2: Yeah. I, at this point, Hachi's one of them. Like the adults Mm -hmm. he's not one of the human feeling children so this is really interesting like a lot's revealed here i mean he says to nana like you could have been of help so she still has an emotional spectrum and there's this flashback and you know the flashback is this sad scene we see young nana as a franks pilot happy and joyous so definitely one of dr franks's experimental squads right Mm -hmm. because we know other squads don't have these emotional dynamics Mm -hmm. but nana did Mm -hmm. she seems like she's in love with her pilot i mean a stamen Mm -hmm. and then something goes bad and it's horrifying like there's blood all over the freaking cockpit and like she's so distraught that One of the soldiers hits her over the head with the weapon to knock her out to take her away Mm -hmm. and in this flashback hachi does have emotions he's the one that tears through the cockpit to get to them and he's the one who's watching like in horror as she's taken away um so maybe this little trip that kokoro and mitsuru go on maybe that happened to him too maybe he just never recovered from it Mm -hmm. maybe they just took Mm. so much from him that he knows those kids needed something but he didn't have it to give anymore. But Nana probably
0: did. So you want to hear my headcanon, my pet theory for this flashback? Do it. Okay, so Nana can also mean seven, right? And Hachi can also mean eight. Okay, so we find out that Nana and Hachi were pilots. They were on a Frank's team, which as far as we understood, no Frank's pilots become adults. So again, we have... An anomaly in the people that Frank's is closest to. Yes. So my theory is that uh, Nana had an unorthodox relationship with her partner. Um, He died in a mission. Right. We saw like what looked like a mushroom cloud explosion. Yeah. And then Hachi, we realized maybe had feelings for Nana. They were not. The, they weren't partners or anything but maybe they had feelings for each other right so my headcanon thing is that Nana and Hachi after this incident maybe after she's wiped and returned to the squad they become intimate and Nana gets pregnant with Ichigo because Ichigo's number is 15 the sum of their numbers right? <laughs> Yeah, um, mm. <laughs> and if we look at the young Hachi his hair color is identical to Ichigo's that's my little headcanon that that Ichigo actually is their child.
2: Oh, wow. That's even sadder if it's true. <laughs> Why do you got to be always,
0: like that? I was trying to make things sadder. <laughs> Great.
2: Okay. Let me compose myself for a second here. Okay. All right. We yeah. got to get Thanks through this. Thanks for indulging
0: me. <laughs> so after the and Hachi scene is our, our scene with the ape council for the episode. Yeah. So that we go, we go back to the ape council. Minus two members.
2: Yes. Uh, and there's a schism among them. Uh, and the leader uh, is saying some really weird stuff, talking about shells whereas you call them, bodies. Yeah. And he's talking about them as if they're different from himself.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like Papa ordered the two, Tarzier and whoever the other one was, to go talk to... Uh, the klaxo queen mm-hmm. and it looks like it was part of the plan for Tarzier to take the shot yeah but it looks like that wasn't the plan of the other three ape members
2: it's not what they agreed on
0: so does papa not have a body he, he treats bodies like they are not you know this is like cult leader bullshit. so i, I will have another
2: question about that when we get to our spoiler section Uh, But we're almost at the end here.
0: Yeah. So let's get through it. Yeah. So they're in. It looks like a stadium that's been like refitted to house people.
2: Yeah. And is this it? This is the destination that they've been packing for to be reassigned to. Mm -hmm. They don't have any privacy. Number one, they're just all together in one quarter. Mm -hmm. And the front face of it is just that transparent force field thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, they
1: have called it a re-education center. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> yeah. There there it is. I missed that. That sucks. Okay. So there's been
2: a passage of time. Um, mm-hmm. it's at least like three weeks. Okay. That's a long time for Kokoro and Mitsuru to be in those labs. Oh. And they come back, the rest of the squad are happy to see them. And then we get the reveal, like their their memories have been erased. Mm-hmm. Kokoro assumes that Mitsuru is a new member. She recognizes everybody else. Mitsuru assumes the same thing. And, you know, Zero Two, I think, is the one that says it out loud. Like, this is what happened to us. Hmm. Hero takes it really hard. Um, Are we not allowed to have any happiness? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the answer is no. Like, this is the message. Like, you are just tools. Your worth, your value is only measured by what you can do for ape and papa
0: yeah and this society has changed the definition of what a person is like just because you're human does not grant you personhood or in this Mm -hmm. case like citizenship or i guess the the word they would use would be
2: adulthood yeah so i think if the viewer is really paying attention like maybe this is where we're finally supposed to have that aha moment about who's really the villain here who are we supposed to be fighting it's not some mecha dinosaur that comes out it's this freaking group that denies us personhood
0: yeah you know we're talking about all these parallels with neon genesis and uh especially in this episode uh with like all the revelations you've given us Miki, like it's often like inversions or you know through the looking glass you know either sexuality Mm. is something to be overcome or it's something to be explored right but but in this one we have a, a really strong Straight parallel, which I guess we anyone who's been paying attention to their work should see coming uh, because in Neon Genesis, like the angels aren't the bad guy either. Mm -hmm. It's really Gendo and seal. Um, And we don't just have one bad guy. We have different organizations with factions that are not allied with each other that are playing political games. It's just wonderful, but terribly sad.
1: Mm -hmm it's pretty interesting what they managed to achieve, especially through um, Kokoro and Mitsuru in, in, in the second uh, half of the show, because um, I remember I read an interview that this is something they hadn't planned from the beginning, um, yeah. like the whole uh, um, relationship between Mitsuru and Kokoro is something they came up with through d- during making the second half. Oh, really? Yeah, um, initially, I mean, in the first half of the show, it's pretty clear that uh, Mitsuru is interested in uh, Hiro. Mm. And I know a lot of people were kind of disappointed that Mitsuru went for Kokoro then, and that it's never explored again that he was interested in Hiro once. But, I mean, he could just be bisexual. I I don't think the, the authors really just, straighten them up here mm-hmm. yeah um, <laughs> and, it's not
0: another bury your gaze situation yeah
1: they made a really good job through these two characters to explore this whole whole theme of of, of relationship and and um rebirth and especially in this world and then i just wanted to mention that because i find it because i find it so interesting that this was just something they came up with during the the making of the show basically mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I can't remember exactly what guests we were talking to. Maybe it was Sophie, but we talked about something about the the planning and that some things seemed like they were overplanned. And by the time we got to them, they hadn't set them up, but they were like, well, this is part of the plan. So we're doing this. So it's really fascinating that this part wasn't planned. Uh, and so like they were able to put that creativity into it, which obviously paid off because it this relationship resonates with all of us right
1: absolutely yeah
0: miki thank you so much for being our guest this has really been wonderful if people can't get enough of you which how could they not uh where would they find you online
1: i think on basically like every platform on youtube it's anime slam our podcast is also on spotify and uh, all the likes like iTunes, SoundCloud. I don't know what there's too. Um, I'm also doing uh, news shows on Japan and anime. So there's a rolling sushi it's called where we call mm. about, uh, where we talk about the political situation in, in Japan every week. Like what's oh, happening cool. there. I mean, there were elections lately, so it's pretty uh, hot right now, I would say. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and. Uh, most of your stuff is in German. Right, right. Um, I think the Darling in the Franks one is the only one so far that I've managed to translate in English. Um, But um, I'm planning to translate um, some other, some new ones, um, especially. But I I think a few weeks after I uploaded the Darling in the Franks video, YouTube changed um, the subtitle editor. And I think the new one is just (laughs) terrible. Oh, so no. um, I I didn't come around to making proper subtitles. Like um, YouTube has this one function that I think is really cool where you can um, upload your uh, blank script and they make the time codes for you. Oh, it's, it's not perfect. I mean, it's just the bot that's making it. So, so it, it doesn't look like proper subtitles. I mean, you know, when you i mean we uh, as, as anime watchers probably know how subtitles look like or should look like mm-hmm. um like a, a full sentence maybe or a full part of a sentence not just abrupt uh, abruptly ending a <laughs> sentence or something like that and that's just all um uh, stuff that the youtube bot does and it's hard to edit now because of the of the new editor it's just it's a pain.
0: Okay. Well, hopefully there's more of that in the future, but now I'm extra thankful that you got that one done so that we can experience it <laughs> yeah. in English and find yeah. you. That's so miraculous. Okay. Oh, and if people listening to us like Darling in the Franks, is there anything you could recommend that tastes like it or that you enjoyed afterwards, or maybe even a good come down series? I
1: think. Another show that handles uh, sexuality really well is um, a show by Mari Okada. Um, she she fits Darling in the Franks, I think, also pr- pr- pretty much. like You could think Darling in the Franks is written by her because of the oh. style. Uh, I mean, she's the author of Anohana or oh, really? uh, The Anthem of the Heart or Hanasaku Iroha. And also um, what I like a lot, which is my favorite show of her, um oh, maidens in your savage season hmm. like that's a really good show um that talks about sexuality in a really serious way um it also has a lesbian character who's handled really well there's a relationship between a minor and an adult which is handled really well oh, um, really? To explora- yeah. exploration of sexuality in general is just handled really good in the show
2: i just started that one actually i'm on the third episode i was really impressed I mean, it seems like there's a main character, but there is an ensemble Hmm. of characters, um, the girls from the book club, and they all have such vastly different experiences like
1: discovering sexuality. Um, Oh, absolutely. That's basically what the show is about. And it's just, it's made in such a great way. Like I, I love the soundtrack and especially like in the first episode, the Train Train song (laughs) when that hits. (laughs) <laughs> it's amazing i can only recommend the show i also made a video about it but um like i, s- I said before it's um the darling and the Frank's reader, really sadly right now it's the only one i have english subtitles for
2: i know that oh maidens is streaming on high dive but i think you can find it on a few other platforms as well
0: okay cool okay <laughs> okay
2: cool all right Thank so you. here we go pen pen pals darling <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs>